and give it up for the great, great Chris Cornell and Soundgarden. One of my very, very, uh, I, I, I hate to say one of my favorite groups, but because uh, that, that wouldn't necessarily be true, but a guy who I discovered is an enormous talent. So this is uh, Life MMA in the NBA. I'm your host, TJ San Marco, being joined tonight by the doctor from Cal State Long Beach, the professor of motor control and learning, Dr. Will Wu, is back with us, sitting in, uh, taking up two chairs for he and Nick Kazona. How are you, doctor? I'm the most suspended co-host of all time. Back <laughs> off another suspension, getting in trouble, paying fines to the league commissioner that is DJ San Marco. But you know what? You, on the cast. You are, in some respects, the bad boy of academia, like the bad boy of professors. You know what I mean? Really? Well, you know what I mean? I mean, how many of your colleagues will be ripping people's legs off? I mean, mm. I, you although, know, you know, one of my one of my faculty member colleagues in my department, I don't know if you know, this is Tusa's wife. Oh, no, Michelle. I didn't know that from Cal yeah, Michelle Allen OK, that's right. She's yeah. from California originally, yeah. right? Uh, I don't know. Originally, I'm going to say yes. I'm not quite sure, but we do have some jujitsu representation in the department but to and be, to be fair oh, we, we don't know if she's ripping anybody's leg off um i don't know we don't, don't know that, she may so. be a purple belt or blue belt or something like that and i'm just i'm just a yeah. really high-ranked white belt so as far as i'm as far as i'm concerned you're still holding the crown for the the bad boy professors at cal state long beach uh <laughs> and until <laughs> until such evidence can be produced that would dissuade me from that notion you will remain <laughs> dj was yelling at me on the bench in the academy for for regulating on someone that was doing something that was exhibiting bad behavior on the training mats that do you remember this dj you had yeah. no idea what was going on in the background and i was doing my thing that you're supposed to well i don't know, I don't know. maybe you're not supposed to <laughs> but when i mean you have to regulate the people who are training are not good training partners on and off the mat. I was, and I was doing that and TJ was yelling at me. <laughs> I, I was doing my job as a coach there. I saw two guys that were getting a little bit too hot. Uh, that individual was upset. Um, you were less upset. So that's probably why I went after you. But, um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, you know, doing what was expected uh, of me and not trying to necessarily take it out on you uh, or anything like that. So correct, I did not storm off the mat. I continued to no. train and roll. No, with all were, my awesome training partners. You, you were very relaxed. He was he was pretty upset, and so you know I just wanted to make sure that it didn't go any further and just be like, okay, guys, you know, calm down, let's separate. Just in case we started fighting. Oh, we kind yeah. of are fighting already. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't want to see it go any further, you know, because... You are good, man, DJ. I mean, we haven't had a lot of those incidents in the academy, but um, but they, they could happen uh, yeah. under the right circumstances. So oh, My analogy is always a role with someone is kind of like a date. There are really good dates, and they're just really bad ones. You're like, let's just... I got to get out of here. That's true. 
That's true. Yeah. We've all we've all been there. It's a it's great life experience there. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the uh, stupidity that Will and I engaged in some time ago. We are here to talk a little. <laughs> we have some big stuff today. We want to talk about. Um, want to get into a little bit of tragedy uh, that strikes close to my heart, um, and even closer to Will's heart because he is an Asian person. And this particular event that occurred in Atlanta in which eight people were killed um, was targeting Asian persons. And this show is decidedly uh, very Asian and is something that we love and we're proud of. We're very diverse. Uh, Well, until I bring my friend Ricky Lam on, then we'll be more diverse because he's half Korean. So that will and half Chinese. So so that will you know, he's going to come on and, and regulate will but uh but anyway and he's a, oh he's a good he's a really good cook too man oh my, yeah my wife he's a guy he's a guy I trained mma with um great guy smaller smaller <laughs> dude tremendous cook tremendous aviator in the air force just a solid solid dude and i think he's i think he just got married uh and when you say to- cook is he formally trained kind of no, cook or is he just good home cook style stuff he's, um he's not but he's one of these guys when he makes something you can tell the care that he put into it because he mm. invited katya and i over i don't know if we came over just to eat or why i think we came over to watch ufc and and he cooked and man she was very impressed with his food she'll never forget that nice so, um yeah he's a, he's a solid guy he just did a six month deployment in his new airframe, the C-146 Greyhound. So uh, six months. So, is that top secret where he is? Uh, I don't know where he was. I wouldn't ask him. Uh, it's none of my bit. None of my. I don't have a need to know, as we say in the intelligence world. Uh, mm. I just knew that he was deployed, um, and he was brand new. So he probably just graduated training like a few months prior. But it just gives you guys an idea of. When people go, oh man, I went on a business trip for four days. I miss my family so bad. And then you have dudes and gals that go on these like sick. I've never been on a six month deployment <laughs> in my career. So yeah, uh, this newlywed just went on that. So Oh man. And if you have a young child, six months, geez, that's a ton of time. Will, ton of milestones. Will, one of the most crushing things, and I probably mentioned this on the show, so stop me, but when when we would go to, of course, these camps that they set up, there's not Wi-Fi everywhere. So you got to walk to somewhere where there's Wi-Fi so that you could uh, call home, you know, and, and use your phone or your tablet. And when I'd see a mom doing a FaceTime with her children that she hadn't seen in months, little kids, and the dad's there or the grandma you know, or that 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 woman's mother taking care of him, whatever. It 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 broke me up, you know, because I don't have kids, but man, I could see how sad it was for that mom. Mm. Yeah, that's that's tough. I always wonder about those sorts of things when you know it's you know it's all the choice, but these folks definitely make sacrifices to some make it a lifelong career, and some it's just a portion of their life. Um, so probably some of the things that we don't always think about, um, we just think about it as, hey, you're battling, you're battling, you know, foreign enemies of that sort. But all the day-to-day things that we take for granted, 
those are big things, man. Just like you said, it moved, it got you really emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, I said, however hard this deployment is for me, it's like 10 times more difficult for her. You as a dad can really relate to what that individual would feel like. The other thing I'll point out to you is the Air Force, because of my age now, a lot of the guys that I was and gals that I was serving with are now at senior rank. So they're going to be a colonel or they're a lieutenant colonel. And, and one of the discriminators that they use is they'll say, hey, we're going to send you on a one-year deployment to somewhere. And if you say no, then they know, okay, that person is not going to be the one we're promoting to the next rank. That person won't be our next squadron commander or our next group commander or something like that. And I've seen people get out that are just like, you know, hey, I'm not doing it. Uh, or they just say, you know, I'm I'm turning it down and I'll just stay at this rank kind of. They know their career is effectively over. Um, oh. and, and I respect, you know, both people who do it. But you just know you have to tell your wife, hey, honey, I'm going on a one year remote. And I might get to come home once for like a week during that one year, something like that. So. Yeah, and I th just think it all starts with what your priorities are. And having those priorities defined is going to be critical to how you make decisions. And if you do have those priorities defined, um, then the critical decisions actually become a lot easier because they're, you, you know what you're going to do ahead of time. Um, you know, at, in my career, I, just in terms of my career success, I had priorities of what I needed to do, rank them, and I always base decisions on the ranking of that list and it made things really easy and it created in a sense a roadmap so it was really really helpful but if some people don't have those priorities and maybe you have number you have one a and one b career and family and they're both about the same it makes it really challenging yeah um no no doubt and and for that they get certain things and say, so, okay, you're going to get a retirement after 20 years of service. And it goes up incrementally by percentile when you do 22 and 24 and 26 and 28 year, whatever it is. Okay. And so you get your retirement, you get tuition, uh, GI bill that you can use for your children. You know, like, uh, I, you, I ended up using my GI bill, but let's say during my active duty, I wasn't an idiot. Like I am, like I actually am. And I, I did my, because while you're in, you can use what's called tuition assistance. So during that, you can go through all your bachelors, all your masters, and maybe even more, depending upon how fast paced you work. And it's all paid for by the military yeah. while you're in. So that GI Bill, you just say, okay, I want to give that to Kingston, as an example, or Ripley. And then they say, okay, you give us another uh 24 month service on top of your current commitment you can give that to your child and then boom they they get that money so it's yeah i got a i got a buddy who's using that or is going to use it he's got kids my age um he went into med school halfway through med school he went uh he joined up and they paid for his med school and all that and then he did his time um in iraq and um yeah he's telling me like he gets i mean the benefits are outstanding if if you utilize them well, um, like home loans, things like that, car insurance, like yep. basic things like that. But then the the tuition, I think he gets a a waiver or they get free tuition if it's 
a public institution or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what it is, but Cal, Cal uh, well, for the GI Bill, you get money. What you choose to do with that that money for your tuition is your business. But you can yeah. also get a stipend with it mm -hmm. uh, for the kids uh, child's living expenses while they're at school. So it's yeah. it's an outstanding deal. And I can tell you, when I was working for Riz at Kaiser, there were some guys struggling. Uh, one guy was trying to. He had graduated med school, didn't have a residency, and I was like, dude, you know, join the Air Force. And I can tell you there's a number of people I've talked to about it that want nothing to do with it. But nothing to do with the military? Nothing to do with it. But you yeah. you know, are you sure? You know, all I said, dude, I'm telling you it was a great career. And they probably look well, he's nuts, I'm not going in. But um, <laughs> just look at you, DJ. Yeah. Why would I go in? <laughs> but, but but you give a lot, but you get a lot. You know, I'm still getting yeah. VA loans for a you know, a couple different houses I bought now. So, I was cursing you the other day. I, I forgot to tell you about this earlier, but I was like, "That son of a b DJ." So I'm I'm going to see an athlete client of mine in in Palm Springs, and it's like a two hour drive right from where I live in Orange County, and it's like perfect opportunity to listen to podcasts. And DJ's been harassing me about the Dave Chang podcast. So it's sweet, sweet podcast by the way. Love those dudes. They're so oh, awesome. They're the best. Like, but yeah, I like I could hang with those dudes. Those dudes would like those, totally. those guys are in, would be in my linchpin kind of thing. But it's a podcast about cooking and eating. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to pull over and <laughs> and and on those days, I tend to like I tend to fast those whole days just because it's convenient. Mm -hmm. It's convenient because I'm usually with the athlete the entire day that sort of thing. So I'll just go, I'll just fast, you know, for the day, no big deal. And I'm like in the morning driving and they're talking about dim sum places. They're talking bon about sandwiches. Yeah. Bon <laughs> me sandwiches. I'm like, that son of a bitch DJ. And then on the way back, cause it's a good podcast. Like I'm going to listen to more and they're talking about it more. And it's been, geez, it's almost been like 18 hours probably 18 hours into it. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. But, it's, but I listen anyways, cause it's a good podcast. Those dudes are, those dudes are good. Those dudes are really good. And they, you know, like, about, I want a bite of your breakfast burrito. And you're like, no, like I didn't know that you were a horrible person. Like you're out of my life. You know, we dude, don't. <laughs> so Dave Chang's like in the, in the midst of it. Right. I, he he's coming out from the East coast. Now he's living living on the east side of los angeles and he's hitting up all the spots that you knew about <laughs> or i grew up and we you know my family one of our favorite dim sum places is lunasia and he's talking about lunasia yeah. and uh, like how he doesn't want to go there and until he can out. dine in yeah, yeah he doesn't want to get takeout but i'm like dude and he's talking about nuance and i'm like here's the nuance for it you just compare it to all the other takeout dim sum that you have it's still going to be better like on that level on the takeout level um, but he's like naming off. No. So he names and you know, the Sam Wu restaurant. I've he heard it. Yeah. It's in Irvine. Right. So they have a, they, they have a lot of them. They're like, yeah. in Las, they have some in Las Vegas, kind of all over the place, but it's kind of run by this big, big family. Mm -hmm. Um, and the different siblings or relatives have owned different restaurants or whatnot. But my father, um, they bought, my dad was a meat wholesaler. And then for pretty much my whole life, my, they were one of my dad's clients. Wow. And so, yeah, me and my brother, when we helped out my dad, we'd go in their kitchen and like make deliveries and stuff like that. But he was talking about like different Sam Woo's and stuff. So I was like, oh, dude, this guy's hitting up all the 
all the spots, man. He's he, getting reoriented to or getting oriented to the LA food scene really well. He's living the lifestyle that you grew up your whole life living, basically. Yeah, man. Like <laughs> we're like we're probably just crawl, missing each other across in paths or something yeah. like that. Um he gets he gets a little bit more down and dirty than I than I do with the food and stuff like that, just because you know, like training, like with jujitsu, it's you can feel what you eat when you're training. If you eat poorly, you'll feel you'll that know it. on yeah. the mess. Yeah. And so I try to, I still try to dim sum is actually a, a cheat day for me if I have a dim sum type 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 of meal. But he's just he was just talking about banh mi, ham, cheese, and butter sandwiches. And I'm like going, dude. I'm thinking about the bread. <laughs> I'm thinking about the bread. And I'm thinking about um, the butter, although the keto people would just be scooping butter like yogurt. Um, but I was just like, oh, dude, super well, cool, super cool show. If you haven't been, so I went to France and I went to Normandy. And I think I told you guys this. This was back in 2000. So it's 21 years ago now. Um, and I basically, I spent a week there. And we're going there to celebrate D-Day. So it was June. So it's almost June will be 21 years. And the idea was to go there and celebrate with the French and march in a bunch of different things. So they put us at a kid's boarding school. Um, I ended up meeting a girl, nearly falling in love. I was, you know, single back then. Yeah. And the, but the food, I remember at the air, I, people were so nice to me. It seemed like everywhere that I went, it was just incredible. And at the airport, uh, a lady made one of those sandwiches with the French salty butter and ham and cheese. And that was going to be my sandwich to take as we flew back to the United States, taking off out of Cherbourg in Normandy. And man, I know what Dave's talking about, man. And, and uh, I've also been on a French military base and had it. Yeah, at a French military base, you know, basically uh, you pull in with your airplane, you call a gas truck. You know, and a lot of times there's no maintenance guy there. So I end up having to be in the enlisted guy. I had to put gas on the airplane and they bring out, <laughs> they bring out a kit with sliced baguettes that were fresh ham. That was like that thick. So oh, baby. You know, picture in your, in your eye, like eighth inch thick pieces of ham, um, some sort of cheese. I don't remember what the, a white cheese and I don't remember what that was. And one of these styrofoam things of Dijon mustard that could have been like the best Dijon mustard I've ever had in my yeah, life. Yeah. And so I'm there fueling the airplane <laughs> with one of these sandwiches that like like Dave is talking about. And I'm sure there was butter in there as well that I probably didn't use. As you're living. So American, but man, it was good shit, man. And you're the, living. Th the thing I remember about that, and we had a pilot that spoke French, so he was extremely helpful in this trip. But... When you're taxiing an airplane, uh, Will, in an unfamiliar field, they'll have a truck out in front of you called a follow me. And usually it'll even have a little sign that says follow me. So they're going to park you where they want you. So they're trying to take us through this area where it was fenced off. And I guess we would have had like kind of a, a very secure location. And I was like, pilot, stop. I don't think we're going to fit through that fence <laughs> and that guy's driving and he's trying to get us to go through this fence so he stops and i get out and i kind of just shake my head no no we were not, the wingtips were 132 feet long not going to make it through that fence so 
Anyway. <laughs> nice. All right. I promise I'm not going to bore the audience with any more uh, military talk. We will get to MMA. Uh, there's some significant UFO news that's out there. Uh, and there's some NBA news that's out there, obviously. And then we'll close talking about, um, you know, what's what's happened uh, in our country and let Will discuss how it's affected him, uh, what happened in Atlanta, what happened to Jeremy Lin, you know, which kind of gets into you have an aggrieved party where you have NBA players that are, uh, I don't know, we're in the upper 80 to 90 percent uh, of black folks in the NBA that are an extremely the most marginalized group in our country, uh, then turning their sights on Jeremy Lin, a lesser known but nonetheless marginalized uh, member of American culture. So we'll get to that. But Will, in MMA, man, did you, do you first of all, do you have any thoughts from last week from Derek Brunson's uh, stunning uh, five-round win <laughs> over Kevin Holland, who decided that it would probably not be a bad idea to converse with Dana White and Khabib between rounds and then basically talk in a sterile room for the entire fight as he's being grounded. <laughs> yeah, that dude's a complete nut job. Uh, the probably the most entertaining part of the fight was when he was talking to Khabib, and Khabib was sitting next to Dana, and then Khabib had his phone, and he was basically recording the conversation <laughs> and <laughs> streaming it. No, yeah. he was streaming it. Yeah. That's what people I, he was streaming it on Instagram yeah. in front I of saw... the owner of the intellectual property. Yeah. The the funniest like meme video that I saw was. Khabib streaming it and someone says I guess Dana has found his illegal stream <laughs> it was so classic it was so funny. yes there he is Dana he's right next to you he's got you on a leash he might as well have a little collar but instead of the little like Scooby-Doo has one that says SD it should say DW and then and then you could have Khabib like pulling on the choking collar just dragging him was- along I saw the end of that. I saw the end of that fight, and it was just super odd his behavior um, during that whole thing. And then you kind of wonder, you know, Dana has favorites, so you kind of wonder how Dana internalizes bad his poorly. yeah his his uh, antics poorly. and how it affects his career. Yes, I'll send. I could send you. Uh, he thinks that there's something wrong with the guy. I can send you an article. I think it's on MMA Fighting. Uh, had an article about it today, but Dana was not happy. He did not think it was cool. And I think the reason that I think he actually probably thought it was funny and he left partway through the fight. So if I had knowing Dana, as I know him as, okay, knowing Dana, as I feel, I know him. I actually don't know him. I've been, in you his, perceive him. Yeah. I've been, I've, I don't even know if I've actually met him. I've stood next to him once in the locker room when I was with Juicy Act. But I don't even know if I met... I wouldn't even say I met the guy. But the way that I think he is, he probably thought it was funny and he probably left because he doesn't want to encourage that behavior that other fighters would would then mimic uh, and try to recreate the idiocy that Kevin Holland... And by the way, I love watching Kevin Holland, but at, there's a point where you got to stop. Yeah. So what? what's your take on that will because you like you love entertaining people and entertaining fighters i think there's entertainment in the realm of respect and so i think 
like you just kind of take what Conor McGregor was doing for a while, although he's kind of at least he backed off in the Poirier fight. Is he's a vi- I, he's the probably the best thing for the UFC in terms of pulling in pay per views and money and all that stuff. But uh, that Khabib fight, that what he was doing was there was no respect, right, associated with the trash talking that was going on there. It just got super out of hand when he was talking about his religion. He's talking right. about, he's right. trying to infer some um, uh, geopolitical um, kind of events that are occurring in Khabib's life that he may not have full, like really good knowledge of. And then he's talking about his dad. And so there's entertainment and there's respect for your opponent at the same time. And then respect for the sport. And so I think Kevin Holland wasn't really respecting his his uh, opponent. And then on the larger scheme of things, are you respecting the organization, right? The UFC who's, a, you, who's basically paying you money. And then are you respecting the sport? And so there's a fine line between being being an entertainer, but at the same, same time respecting all the different parties. I think that um, I think that he was a bit. I'm going to send you this article so you can open it real quick and just take a peek. I think he was a little bit out of his depth uh, with um, he was a bit out of his depth with um, Khabib, and I think Connor either never was aware of it or was aware of it way too late. And because, as you said, you have to set. I think. You know, and this is really sad because people ended up getting injured and it ended up being tragic. I mean, there's people that actually got hurt and sent to the hospital that had that were Irish that had no involvement in this at all as a result of what Connor did. So if we're on a road and we're on a road that's even double length wide, like there's space for two lanes on either side on this divided road. And that's how much space you have. You have to obey those white lines that are at the edge of the road. And you can't you can't say, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to drive way off of that road and then expect something. And when you're dealing with somebody, if you've done any analysis of Khabib at all, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't talk trash to him. I mean, you saw Tony Ferguson talk a ton of trash to Khabib and it never reached a level that got Tony in trouble with Islam, with the Russian community, with the Islamic Dagestani community and or all of the the above plus the fight community of Dagestani or Islamic Russians that surrounds Khabib. It never got to that level to where he, he incensed those people or offended those people. Whatever Tony did was just trash talk. And Tabib did trash talk. And what Connor did is you have that very wide road and Connor decided to go off of that road. And you can get away with that maybe with Jose Aldo, you know, but you're not going to get away with that with somebody like Khabib. And you may not have gotten away with it with Jose Aldo if, you know, you're in Brazil somewhere. You know, that yeah. might, you know, so. Well, the thing that's disgusting is that the underlying reason why he's doing all that is because he's doing all that for money. He wants to create buzz. He wants to create more pay-per-views. 
he wants to have it's all for that dollar and i think it's disgusting when you will exhibit behaviors say the things that you do all for money um at some point i know it's you know we live in a capitalistic society but at some point on a personal level right there's no nothing in our nothing to say really in a in an economy based on capitalism at least Actually, I actually won't go there. But at, at, when it all comes down to it, you still have to say, are you an honor, honorable person? Right? Are you doing these things just for the sake of money? Um, and if you are, then all right, that's, that's your decision. Everybody's going to have their own opinions on, yeah, why not? Right? Make as much money as you possibly can. And some people are going to be like, well, do it the right way. <laughs> Professor... I would argue that you can sell the fight and you can make money the way that Tony did with Khabib and the way other people have done without being so offensive as to cause multiple melees of fans and others. I don't think you need to do that to make money. And I would say the same thing. I am, you know, you have heard me. I'm... uh, I'm very much pro uh, black community in our country, but I am not very pro Muhammad Ali. And I explained that on a previous episode. And I would be more Joe Frazier, not because of all the bullshit of one was the working class guy and one was this guy and one was supposedly more black than the other guy because I don't buy any of that stuff. That was a way that, uh, and I don't think that Muhammad Ali needed to call Joe Frazier, a gorilla to sell that fight. Yeah, we had this discussion before, DJ, and it gets back to a bigger a bigger goal and cause that you have in life that's more just than about promoting a fight. Um, Muhammad Ali was became a devout Muslim and it influenced significant decisions in his life. When you talk about things like military, Right, in his life types of decisions. And so those are bigger, those are bigger things, bigger issues, bigger life choices that he's making. And I don't, when he did that to Joe Frazier, he didn't see the bigger issue as it relates to how they were being seen as black men in society in the United States. And it completely worked against all the years of you have all these individuals looking for equality battling for civil rights and then you basically have another a black man calling another black man a gorilla i mean all the effort that people had put in individually the names you know and the names you don't know the people who lived and the people who didn't live that just that's just that one incident like really hurts really hurts the cause or really really hurts it yeah, and I, I don't mean this to, I'm not trying to suggest that all the amazing things that Muhammad Ali did in so many countries for so many people, causes, uh, money that he brought to disadvantaged people that wouldn't have happened were it not for the advocacy of Muhammad Ali. So I'm not saying the guy's not an amazing guy, I'm just saying that's something that bothered me that will always bother me because somehow as being a white Italian Jew, (laughs) I connected with 
what I thought Joe Frazier was feeling looking at some of those uh, interviews that they did. And so, yeah, so it's just something that, that bothered me about Ali. And I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's necessary to sell a fight. But uh, anyway, uh, you are joining Dr. Will Wu of Cal State Long Beach, Professor of Motor Control Learning, and I, DJ San Marco, your meat-headed host, on a, uh, on a Tuesday night. We're without our brother Nick Kazono. How could we not mention Nick Kazono, man? What's your problem with the Japanese, yo? Ninja Nick may be around <laughs> here somewhere. We just, we just can't see him. Yeah, he may actually be here because he heard Soundgarden. <laughs> Nick, are you exactly. there? Nick. Nick. He was playing it. It actually wasn't a recording. He was oh, playing it live. Okay, it was Nick. Okay. <laughs> big big MMA news, BJJ crossover MMA news. Okay, so let's go with uh, what Will has. Uh, maybe the preeminent uh, no-gi grappler in the world. Um, He's the best. John, the best. He's like, and, and who's next? Who's behind him? Nobody. kind of not close. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, it's not close. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Go ahead. Go ahead, Will. Oh, no, no. No, I was just... I just so Gordon Ryan signs with one yeah, FC. Gordon, yeah. Correct. What do you think about that? That well, organization and... What's interesting is one of the former Strike Force UFC fighters named Isaac Valley Flag, a guy I really like, uh, from, out of Albuquerque, guy out of Jackson's, asked what weight class. And I was like... It's got to be 205 pounds. You know, is he going to fight heavyweight? Got no idea what's going on there. I was looking to see maybe they have his, when his first fight will be. I couldn't find anything along those lines. Mm -hmm. But man, that organization, it's obviously in the U.S. We don't think of it as the UFC, but in Asia, that's mega. That's, it, that's a man. mega that's organization. It. That's it. And if you look at, you just look at the UFC fighters who, who went to Bellator, or not Bellator, but 1FC, right? The biggest, probably the best is is DJ. And yep. DJ's, Mighty Mouse's first match there, that was a really competitive fight in his first match in that oh, organization. Yeah. And then Eddie Alvarez got annihilated there. And then um, who's the blonde-haired kid? Um, Sage North. Pretty, Sa yeah. Oh, he got annihilated there. Um, and so that organization is is legit. But I could see the connection because, you know, Gary Tonin started – or is in that organization. So there's a connection there. Is it training Gracie partners and stuff? Crone Gracie. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, he's going to fight. He's going to, I'd imagine they're going to ease him into it because they're going to take care of him like Uncle Danny oh, takes yeah. care of Connor. But, oh, uh, <laughs> man, you will never, you, you're like another friend of mine, uh, Larry Peppy. You will never let go of that Connor. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, 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 that's fact, right? Come on, DJ. No, yeah, I mean, he's very, yeah. I'm not, everybody I'm not he loses, everybody he loses to, it's like, oh, he gets a rematch. But whomever he beats, who he gets a rematch. So I, it's like I, one of those things. I but more power, more more power to. Him. I won't debate the point with you, yeah. um, because you're you're right. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you the more important question. You've watched this guy grapple for years now. How do you think he does coming into? MMA, you know, favorable matchmaking notwithstanding, uh, what do you see for him as his future? I'm going to parallel it to Gary Tonin's intro into, into MMA. 
And those dudes over there, like their top guys, they're, they, they seem to pick up things really well and really fast. And they're not, they're not on this single lane road of, of one thing they come from, I don't know if it's Danaher or whomever they, whomever they else they have, but they're looking at weaknesses in the overall game in opponent, and they're going to go that direction based on that. Um, so I'm going to parallel to that. And I'm going to say Gordon Ryan's a way better grappler than Gary Tonin. I mean, Gary Tonin is awesome, right? Really good. But I mean, ADCC, I, say what you want about whether how hard they were going in ADCC, but that's the most recent grappling match that they've had together in a competitive non-training environment. And it wasn't very competitive. <laughs> okay. I didn't see that match. They Did they grapple one another? Yeah, they did. Yeah, but that's not fair, man. It's too, the weight class is just. Way, so, you, so you have a weight class, but fair. still. But Gary Tonin didn't didn't dominate his weight class in in um, ADCC in no gi no gi yeah. grappling as Gordon Ryan is. So it's just a matter of how they how they take care and ease his transition while he gets. I don't know. Have you seen stuff? Have you seen him striking? Like any footage of I, him striking I, at all? I haven't. Uh, but I. He's got to be, do just enough. Yeah, to be perfectly honest with you, that's kind of what I think is that his grappling is so dominant. He, you know, like, it's like we used to say about Diego Sanchez, you know, way back in the day when Matt Hughes was champion, Diego was coming up. He was destroying everybody, destroyed Nick Diaz. I mean, he, Diego was so confident. You know, Joe Rogan used to say his belief in himself, his belief in himself. Obviously, he doesn't have that anymore. Now, you know, he gets beat by, you know, kind of average guys but Gordon's Ryan's belief in himself that goes along with his technical skill is so strong that he's going to put people in positions where in getting out of those positions they're going to put them kind of like you know like Fabal used to say about Marco Pio Pio he used to say I go from a bad position to a worse position. Worse position, yeah. And and I I not to and not to like analogize everything back to Gracie Baja, but I just feel like Gordon Ryan will be able to do something like that. I feel like he has the mental acuity for fighting more naturally than what we just saw with Adolfo Vieira. We just saw Adolfo Vieira really just piss all over himself. He had the fight won. Oh my gosh. And he decided that he was going to force that submission. I'm going to get that submission and get that submission and get that submission. Regardless of what this... He could have held Mount for the entire round if he wanted to. There's no way that kid's getting up from his Mount. Just like people aren't going to probably get up from Gordon Ryan's Mount. Yeah, if that was, geez, how long ago was that fight? Was that like more than, a, that was a couple months ago, right? I remember. A month or two ago. I remember us having a conversation about it and I called you up and I go, what a shame that was. And I, now I can vaguely recall my take on that, but I remember his, one of his corner men was telling him to pull half guard. What are you doing? It's MMA, you idiot. What are you doing? Or half- something like half guard. I think that was the case. It was a couple months ago. He did, totally he did pull half guard. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, there, where do these there, dudes come from? There are situations where some guys go half guard. Damian Maya has done some, but Damian Maya's experience level 
and Hadolfo Vieta's experience level are like two different planets. It's like the Earth and the Moon. Because well, Damian Maia has been in there with some of the best fighters in the history of fighting. Regardless <laughs> so, of that, if you're looking at, if we just look at Hadolfo's jiu-jitsu game, what is he known for? I don't know. Passing. Passing, yeah, that's true. Passing guard, yeah. There's no way so, that guy, yeah. So you're yeah. like, you're telling the guy to pull the half guard and even if you're relying on his jiu-jitsu, it's like his, he's, he's the dominant passer in the game, so... It was just, I don't know where like some of you know, these guys come from. You know, Not Adolfo, but the guys giving him, he's coaching him. Well, no, but him himself. He was determined that he was going to get the arm triangle. Now, you'll notice that the Novo Niao guys, they all go for the arm triangle. It's the safest submission you can that you can attack. It doesn't leave you vulnerable, all these kinds of things. But the guys who win in MMA and get a lot of submissions are the guys that go for different techniques. You see Oliveira go. You've seen guys go triangle armbar. Uh, you've seen Anthony Pettis score uh, score uh, submissions over really good guys. Donald Cerrone, right? You've seen guys do that. Um, you've seen Damian do it, you know? But you can't just go in there and say, I'm going to do this. You know, there's absolutely no excuse for this guy doing that. You could have just sat there you could have just mounted this. You had him mounted. You could have just mounted this guy and just wait till he wears himself out. Land a couple strikes. Just wait till he wears himself out and he's going to give you something. And Adolfo Vieira can see 17 submissions to my one from Mount, right? But he decided, I'm going to do this and I'm going to end it early and I'm going to do it with this one technique. The thing I love about a Gordon Ryan will is... Gordon Ryan proved, I don't give a shit what you think about me being a leg lock guy. I will beat you in many different ways of jiu-jitsu. And we all said that. We all thought he was just a leg lock guy. And he said, oh, really? Watch this. The most Matt. basic submissions, and he pulled them off beautifully. Yeah, that's the other thing. If You you can't pigeonhole that guy right now in terms of how he's, how he's beating people. Because like you said, you know, that it's a whole leg lock game. And then now he's getting, now you can do it anyway. You get your back and he's going to choke you. He could still take off your leg. Can he get it any, gets it in a variety of ways and you can't pigeonhole him necessarily anymore. But you've seen, you've seen some of his matches. My big thing is striking is going to be important, but what's his, what's his takedown game? Like what's his wrestling? Like what's his judo? What's his judo like? Um, but his so, wrestling and his takedown game is pretty good. And people, you have to understand, people are going to fight him the way they fight Khabib. How do they fight Khabib? They try to train for however long the training camp, three months is. They try to develop an elite Olympic lifetime, lifetime level of a takedown defense game. And they try to, they're, they're so scared for the takedown that it opens up everything else that Khabib wants to do. And I believe people will approach Gordon Ryan the same way. And if and if not, after the first guy that he taps out, every all the subsequent uh, fighters will do that. Yeah. But I think, I, he, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I think he's going to be a lot smarter because what I loved in the Hidolfo Vieta fight is he went over he drove and got a beautiful double leg takedown within 
30 seconds of the first round of that fight. And it was beautiful. And all he needed to do was just calm himself and just show the mastery that he's built over 20 years of being at a level in jiu-jitsu that most people, that even our professor Felipe would never would never get to. Or, prof- or any professor that I've had personally will ever get to the level that Adolfo Vieira is at, right? I mean, m- multiple time world champion. Most people will never get there. I I look at that. I look at that match as his that fight plan strategy execution didn't allow him to demonstrate who he is as a fighter. It didn't well, allow it. Well, he all the things that he trained for, he bailed on and said, and he was determined to. He could have just let this guy just flop around him like a fish. You know what it's like when you're mounted by somebody at that level. If if he doesn't allow you the space to get up, you're not getting up. Now, sure, he's got to posture up because if you don't posture up and strike, you're in real danger of being stood up. Particularly when you're in a sterile environment, Dana's sitting right over there, the referee knows that Dana's sitting over there, you know, you might get stood up if you're not doing something. But, you know, you, you don't have to do that much, you know, you don't have to posture. You know, in fact... Israel said it about Jan. He said, you know what? He said, Jan really never postured up and hit me with anything hard because he knew if he did that, I'd have a chance to escape. So Jan did just enough to stay on top for the entire round. And I think that's the important thing is you get on top and you do just enough so they don't stand you up. And I think one of the one of the nice things for grapplers that Khabib has kind of paved the way for is they're going to give you, and it's going to depend on the, the referee too, Herb Dean will probably let you do a little bit more work on the ground than some other some of the other refs. But I think there's been kind of a new, not, I don't want to say a new standard, but Khabib has afforded other fighters the opportunity to, to be on top and do some things or quote unquote nothing, um, active resting, so to speak, mm-hmm. allow you allow you to do that where before they they wouldn't as much. They'd stand you up right away. And so that's that should have been there for him. Right? He should have pointed him UFC style at least first, control and 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 rest. And if you saw how gassed he was, it was almost embarrassing to see how gassed he was, Adolfo. That is, um, as that fight went on, it was like, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he really he made that happen. It wasn't his opponent necessarily gassing him out. It was it. Uh, he really made that happen to himself. So. I was really disappointed. Um, I was really disappointed to to see that. But I don't think getting back to Gordon Ryan, I don't think he's going to make that mistake. He looks so cerebral and smart. He is as smart as he is confident. He is as confident as he is skilled. And he yeah. he has as much variety as both of the previous three things. You know. Those guys, those guys are thinkers. Those guys are thinkers over there. They're always looking at what is, what are the weaknesses in the current state. And um, I don't think whomever's quartering or co- the multi, the team of coaches that Gordon Ryan has, they're going to be way superior than the team of coaches that Adolfo has. Um, and they're going to execute and have a yeah. much better, much better strategy. So he'll be in better. He'll be in better hands for sure. 
Um, yeah, his, I'm, his corner should have been screaming at him to, 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 to just stay in mount and just don't rush it and just they should have been screaming at him to calm down. I don't know what the hell they were saying. I go back and watch that freaking mess. But it's you upsetting. Got, yeah, you got tapped by like a blue belt in, it's in like, a guillotine choke. Yeah. Like that's like him coming into the academy and me choking out Adolfo Vieira. That's how ridiculous. I mean, it's or just just strip LeBron of all his all of his uh, all of his basketball technical strengths, and don't allow him to drive to the basket. Don't allow him to handle the ball and be creative and or anything like that. And just like, oh my gosh, the guy's such an incredible talent. Um, Adolfo, that is as a, as a fighter, and yes, it wasn't. No, it, we didn't get the opportunity to see it in a in a UFC fight. He gonna he gonna learn from that one. Yeah, that th- right. that sucks. He should fire his whole coaching staff. Yes, he should, and uh, hopefully he will. Uh, let's move on to this weekend. We have uh, un- unfortunately, very sadly, another jujitsu guy who I know that you might love. Oh no, actually, you don't love him. Brian Ortega. From uh, my new academy, Gracie, the Gracie brothers, uh, here on in, and uh, Henry Gracie, uh, wish to fight Volkanovski, and Volkanovski pops positive once he arrived in the United States, I think at the facility um, in Vegas, he popped positive. So, What was it? Uh, COVID. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. Not I thought drug, I thought... No, not PED. Oh, okay, no. I thought it was PED, okay. No, we had uh, two fights that got washed away. One last week, and then one this week. That was Volko and um, and Brian Ortega. I, I was gonna say if if Volkanovski Volkanovski tested positive for for PEDs, I would say I wouldn't be surprised because the reason why I think he's gonna win that fight is because his motor has got power and it's got endurance. That dude, and he does not shy away from getting hit, yeah. and um, and so I I just see him overpowering, overpowering Brian Ortega. But I don't. So, I mean, maybe it's something. Are you going with Ortega in that fight? Uh, I you know I didn't even really think about it that hard, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously we had a long talks about Ortega's last fight. He's a different guy, um, and. I, I'm not I'm not really ready to pick it, and thank God I don't have to right now. But I will talk about Stipe and Francis uh, Ngannou. Did you see the last fight? I got Stipe in this fight because mm-hmm. he's um, he's way better technically than Francis. Um, yeah, so I just I got him. Do you, do you think he fight. can weather the power of Francis? A punch. Think? Oh. That's with the, that's why those fights like the heavy guys, their skill level is so much lower than the lighter guys, and they're just waiting for the the super lotto ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always there. That's always there. That's it's a lotto ticket in a sense. So if we were just to talk about, all right, he doesn't get hit with a single punch, like a single punch, and it knocks him out, and goes steepy all the way. But is there a ch- obviously there's a chance that he gets he gets caught with one. Well, I, can... out. I mean, we saw it in the DC fight with, yeah. with you know, um, DC's dirty boxing. And I was dirty boxing. I don't think Francis even does that. Francis just not come full power. Flying. Yeah. yeah kind he of just punch. clips you just like one knuckle yeah. just touches you and the rest of the fist misses and then knocks you out. But 
what I would be doing if I were in Francis's corner is I identified a long time ago and I got to admit, I mean, Stipe has cleaned this up a little bit because he was very susceptible to leg kicks. And you got to see the skill of this guy when he fought Junior Dos Santos. And Junior Dos Santos landed a couple leg kicks and Stipe's eyes got wide and he was like, holy shit, yeah. I got to finish this guy and soon. Because he knew he couldn't take a lot of Junior's kicks. Uh, and Junior decided not to kick very much, but when he did, woohoo! And uh, Stipe's got these little lower legs. And I'll tell you what, if I were Francis, what I would be doing is working on, to start the fight, is working on counters and smashing Stipe in the leg. Smash him in the leg, smash him in the leg. And once you compromise that lead leg, I don't think there's much there. I really don't. I, I don't think he can weather a lot from Francis. And then I think Francis can close in, you know, while he's working his sprawl and, and, and land a knockout shot. Now, whether he's going to do that, I don't know. But I think Sestipe is extremely uh, uh, susceptible to leg kicks. And you will see it if Stipe wins this fight and he fights John Jones in what will probably be his final fight. Uh, his Stipe's or John Jones? Uh, Who's final fight? Stipe's. Probably. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't mind the uh, the DC game plan for Stipe is clinch against the cage. Sure. That sort of thing. I think you take away a lot of that power. And even if he's going to kick, um, you'll take away some of that, some of that stuff. Yeah. Fr you know, if you're Francis, you have to be circling to your... I mean, I'm assuming he's a righty. Um, he, he needs to be circling to his right, circling to his right. He needs to jab, and then he needs to come across with a round kick to the thigh or the calf. And if he really only needs to hit like four or five good ones, and that will start the ball rolling downhill, and it'll run right over Stipe. It'll be over. If he hits four or five really good ones to either his leg or his, his calf and compromises that, it's going to be over. It'll be over. So who do you, who do you have? Did you choose? I mean, if I, I don't know, like that, I don't know about Stipe's corner. I know he's training at extreme couture. I don't know what he's learned. If Randy's training with him. Um, so I'll, you know, I guess I'll go with Stipe, but you know, I, I see a road to victory for Francis, but the question is, is how smart he is in there and how he, you, you know, you have to, when you think about hands, you just have to look at Stipe. And I'm going to back up in my chair. The audience can't see this. You look at Stipe and you see the damage he does. Where's the damage that Stipe does? It's right here, right? It's with his hands and he took him down. So you know for sure you have to stop the takedown. But I don't expect Stipe to go out and shoot like five seconds into the fight. You know, there's going to be some trading. Do that. But do that. <laughs> so then, right? I mean, yeah. so so now we're left with this. And the mm. one area that I don't want to attack Stipe is with my hands. Because that's the area where he's strong. He's athletic. He's extremely smart. He's very wily in what he does. He has a high fight IQ and he fights in situations. He sees things. Like Dr. Will would point out, and then he reacts and says, okay, this is what I want to do based on he he's doing an in-fight computation. And with that, 
I would want it. I don't want to be strong here. I want to attack down here. I want to attack his legs. And that is what Francis Ngannou should be thinking of. He's strong here. Go lower than there. Attack his legs. That's where he's weak. We'll be very interested to see what his fight strategy is. Or just yes. to go in there, down you, there, go in there and one punch knockout kind of strategy. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That I mean, definitely. you just look at the man. From from his chest up, that's not where you're going to hurt the guy. It, it's just not. Now, c can you? Uh, of course, anybody in our sport can be knocked out in heavyweight. These guys have so much power. Derek Lewis, uh, Jair Biggie Boy uh, Rosenstruck, um, you know, Stipe, you know, um, uh, Daniel. All these guys can knock you out. So we know that Anthony Johnson, we know that could happen. By the way, they say Anthony Johnson's down at 205 and he looks phenomenal. Now, um, no, uh, no fat. Um, but so all these guys have power. But if you're looking at how you want to attack a guy, and and and, and particularly a guy like Stipe, you can't be thinking about... It's just like John Jones. If you're thinking, and we've said this on the show on several occasions, if you're thinking of attacking John's face, and I'm going to get the knockout, I'm going to tell you, you better come up with a different game plan. Hey, DJ, how would you attack Stipe if you were fighting Stipe? How would you attack him if you were an Olympic level wrestler? Oh, you know what? I I, I don't know that I could think of a strategy for that. I don't, I don't know. Like I don't know that I could come up with how do you, with how any you do strategy. That? But it's so how sad because that? Daniel is going to Daniel. First of all, he's such a smart person. He's got a great personality. Seems like a good dude too. Yeah, he's a very heady guy, and he knows that people think that. And people are going to attack that and they're going to, you know, people like us are never going to forget that. He should be 3-0 and against that guy if, if they ever fought three times. He should well, at least he, be 2-0 and against him. Every fighter's got a, their own respective superpower and he did not use his superpower. He, he was he, Superman that refused to fly. And if you don't believe Dr. Wu and you don't believe DJ, two idiots, go listen to what Khabib said. Live on camera from Abu Dhabi. Dude, that was so good. He was just don't believe it. us. Listen to Khabib of what how <laughs> he said Daniel should have attacked. And why do you think Khabib says that? Why do you There's, think he's saying that? He needles. He always needles with an element of truth. Okay, but I want to ask you. We're way after the fact. The fight has long since happened. So I'm asking you why you think Khabib brought it up at that moment. I don't know. Maybe it bothers Emotional. the crap out of him. It bothers the crap out of him. Right. Yeah. It bothers the crap out of him that his friend lost to a guy that he knows he shouldn't have lost to. That's a shame is when you don't, you, you aren't the fighter that you should be based off of poor decisions, not because of a lack of ability or no. training or anything like that. Just if you, you made a poor decision. And can I tell you what's worse? What irritates me even more than that? Than that is that, that his coach was telling the, to, to no, take him down. No, no, that that doesn't annoy me at all. That was that's good. That makes me happy. What annoys me is that he can't admit it. Uh, he won't. He will say, "I was older. 
I was worried about my cardio, my reaction time. He's going to make up this shit. But we know what the truth... Will, you're frozen. Are you there? Uh, Will's frozen. We may have to... Add, he may have to leave the chat and come back. So, anyway... I'm going to, hopefully Will is going to come back or let me see if I can, if I can, um, I'll stop my video.